Welcome to the Empowered Investor Podcast. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by the sheer volume of choices and voices telling you how to plan or invest for your future? With his straightforward approach, host Keith Matthews of Tulette Matthews and Associates cuts through the noise to help you create a winning action plan for you and your family. The decision-making framework discussed in this show can transform you and your investment experiences and will increase your odds of becoming financially secure. Learn more and subscribe today at tma-invest.com. Welcome to The Empowered Investor. My name is Keith Matthews, and in today's show, we're covering the last section of family law for those living in the province of Quebec. So part three, entitled Unmarried Couples, the division of assets or the separation of assets. Shortly, we'll also be coming out with a series for all listeners under common law. Same topic, division of assets, separation of assets. So in today's show, we have returning as our guest, Patricia Fulcan, who's done a fabulous job helping our listeners with this complex subject matter. And of course, my trusted co-host, Ruben Antoine, who will be interviewing Patricia for this subject matter. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Welcome to the Empowered Investor Podcast. This is the third part of the series that we are doing on family law. We have Patricia with us again. Hi, Ruben. Hi, Patricia. So on the first part and the second part of this series, we covered how assets are divided under the law in Quebec for married couples. But we thought it was very important to also cover what happened to couples that are not married, especially in Quebec. I was looking at the stats, and as per Statistics Canada, Quebec is the province where there is the highest percentage, approximately 40% of couples are not married. So it's the highest percentage in Canada, and we're also one of the leaders in the world, actually. So this subject is really important because a lot of couples will relate, and it's an important one. So I'm going to dive in right away. Patricia, if you can please explain to us, if you can tell us what are the main differences between married couples and what we discussed in the first two portions of this series and what we call common law spouse. Ruben, thank you so much. I do believe it's a very important issue to address, especially in Quebec, as you said. And I do appreciate the fact that you're using terms that your listener can understand. But as a lawyer, I have to tell you that common law is a mislabel. Oh, okay. there, there are no common law spouses in Quebec, but what you call common law spouses, meaning a couple that lives together, in French, you say maritalement, like as if they were married. We call that yes. de facto spouses in Quebec. Oh, that's the right legal term. Yes, we call it a de facto spouse. Because when you use the term... That's why I have you on the podcast, Patricia. You need to educate me so that I can use the right terms as well. Thanks for that. (laughs) Uh, No, perfect, perfect. So we don't use common law spouses because common law means that the law will apply to those spouses. The common law, which is the common law, which is basically the law that you find in most Anglophone provinces in, in Canada, that they will apply the common law to the de facto spouses. But in us in Quebec, de facto spouses do not have the same rights as married couples. And many other jurisdictions in Canada, common law spouses, basically spouses who are not married, are awarded the same rights as married couples. Uh, in many areas, in many other provinces in Canada, 
they have the same rights as Mary Cobalt, but in Quebec, there's a different situation. Yes. In Quebec, okay. there are almost no protection, no laws that apply to de facto spouse. And actually, you don't even find, uh, you find very little reference to de facto spouses in the Quebec Civil Code. So the one of the only rights you will find is the right to maintain occupancy in a dwelling where the other spouse was the VC in terms of separation. For example, you're a de facto spouse and you rent an apartment and the, let's say the mother and the children live in this apartment and the husband basically leaves them or they are separated. The mother could ask to basically have the right to be to stay in the premises, regardless of the fact that the father is the only person who signed the lease. So basically, that's about it <laughs> in terms of protection. So when you say that's about it, so in the first two uh, portion of this series, we said that, you know, when a couple is married, the first one, there's a patrimony law that can protect one member of the couple where house, cars and furniture and even RSPs and pension during the marriage can be divided. And even other assets that I didn't name can be divided as well uh, under other regime, basically. But that's for married couple. When someone, when a couple, it's not a married couple, so it's de facto spouses. You see, I'm using the right mm-hmm. term. <laughs> if they get separated and assets were built and it was a long relationship, like 15, 20 years, assets were built during that relationship, basically they get separated. And if an asset was under the name of one spouse, there is no separation at all. There's no divide. Everyone take their own assets and they live with it, basically. That's what we are saying. Well, that's what the Quebec Civil Code says. The Quebec Civil Code, when it talks about the family patrimony, when it uses the word spouses, when it talks about matrimonial regime, they only talk about married couples. If you're just living with a person, if if you have 10 kids with that person, but you're not married, you do not have the protection of the family patrimony. You do not have the protection of the regime of acquests regarding any other assets that you may have. You're not even entitled to spousal support for yourself. Even if you were a stay-at-home mom or father for 20 years, you had 10 kids, you are not awarded any of those specific protection that apply only to married couples. You just mentioned support and I kept referring to assets. So like you just said, support payment as well, alimony that a married couple will get, someone in the couple will get depending on the situation. For example, if one member was staying at home and taking care of the family, in the case of de facto spouses, no support no alimony, no payment coming from the other member of the couple. What happens if there is a kid, though? Does that change the situation? If there are children, you're entitled to child support. Uh, not spousal support, but child support. Not spousal support. And child support, which is easily calculated in Quebec with a very specific formula. But that's just enough for the very basic needs of the children. That is definitely not enough to be able to continue to maintain the same lifestyle that you had during the de facto relationship. If, for example, you're a stay-at-home spouse and you haven't worked for a long time and your other spouse is well-off, has a very substantive income. So there's clearly an imbalance in treatment between couples which are married versus couples who are not married. 
And what basically the Quebec legislator responds to the fact when you say, well, there's an imbalance, there's an injustice, they say, well, we respect the right of spouses not to get married. It's a contractual liberty to decide if certain laws will apply to you or not. So you have the right not to get married. You have the right not to want any protection from the law. So in other words, they are saying it's kind of your choice. You decided to get married or not. So the consequences came with your own choice. That's what they are saying, basically. You have the choice to choose one or the other. That's exactly what they're saying. But in the, I don't know if you've heard of the Lola case. And basically, one of the arguments that was put forth in front of the Supreme Court is to say that it's not necessarily a choice of both parties not to get married. If you have a person who is extremely wealthy and has total control of the assets, they basically have a veto. And they can decide that, no, we're not getting married. And so what happens? Let's say you're in a relationship with a person, you get pregnant. You want to get married. The other spouse who's very wealthy does not want to get married. Well, you're going to leave the spouse because he doesn't want to marry you. You're going to necessarily want to raise your child alone or in a family that's broke up just because he doesn't want to marry you. Like, is there really, is that really true liberty? Is that a true expression of your will? Not necessarily. And that was brought forth as the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court says, well, we don't have proof enough in terms of we don't. What were the discussions? Exactly. Yeah. In terms of where so we don't have studies in terms of sociology that explains all of that to us. We cannot presume that those decisions were are not made out of free will. So that argument was not retained because in this case. In the Lola case, the attorneys for Lola were basically arguing to the Supreme Court that it's anti-constitutional not to provide equal rights, so the same rights for de facto spouse than those which are acquired or awarded to married couples in terms that they were saying basically there was discrimination on the basis of your social status. So what was the result of that Eric versus Lola case? So what's very interesting is that The first judge who heard the case, the judge of the Superior Court, came to the conclusion that it was not anti-constitutional not to provide rights for this fact of spouses. But the Court of Appeal of Quebec, which is the highest level court in Quebec, did come to the conclusion that it was anti-constitutional and that the Quebec Civil Code needed to provide rights for de facto spouses. But then the case went to the Supreme Court, which is the highest court in Canada. And the Supreme Court, in a very, very tight decision, five to four, came to the conclusion that it was not anti-constitutional, not to provide rights to de facto spouses in Quebec, be it spouse support, be it partition of assets. But what is really, really interesting, Ruben, is that after this decision from the Supreme Court, we started to get some jurisprudence coming out of the Quebec Court of Appeal, but also the Quebec Superior Court, which basically opened up the possibility of certain rights for de facto spouses. And then I'm referring to a theory that exists in the Quebec Civil Code, which is unjust enrichment. So unjust enrichment is to say that a person enriched another person and basically 
that enrichment was not justifiable and that they need compensation for all the work they gave to the other person that permitted that person to be more rich. So basically, you have to prove six things in order to prove unjust enrichment. You have to prove that the other person was enriched, that they got richer. You have to prove that you yourself were impoverished by your contribution. And there has to be a correlation between that person's enrichment and your impoverishment. And there has to be a lack of justification. And also, there has to be an absence of any other remedy. So I know we cannot say this is the situation, but if we're just having a discussion so that I understand, this can be a case where a stay-at-home mom is taking care of, I'm just using an example again, it's taking care of the whole family, the whole managing the whole home. And let's say there is four kids. And because of all what is required to take care of the kids and their activities and everything, the whole home that that person cannot work. And at the same time, the husband, and I'm using, you know, a, a mom and a dad, but it can be the other way around. Mm-hmm. But the husband is working and if we can say getting rich and getting, I mean, improving in his financial situation and he's able to do that and focusing on work and they are not married, of course, because he doesn't have to take some of the time to take care of the family because the mom is doing it. But at the same time, after many years, you can see a situation where there is a correlation between those two situations. Can we take this one as an example or not really? <laughs> well, let's start by the historical, how this unjust enrichment was utilized historically. So historically, for example, when I was studying in university more than 20 years ago, unjust enrichment was just for the most extreme cases. Okay, yes, to be more extreme than the example that I just gave. At that time, at that point in time, 20 years okay. ago, the example that they would give us in law school was the extreme one. For example, you have a farmer. He has a farm. He's the sole owner of the farm. And they have 10 children. And the wife, she wakes up at 5 a.m. every morning. She takes care of the children. She sews their clothes herself. She works in the farm without any pay. And she takes... So she's not only taking care of the family, she's even working. So, and in my example, I use four kids. You are going to 10 kids. So I didn't use (laughs) enough kids in my example. Well, (laughs) at that point in time, it had to be an extreme case because it had to be a contribution that goes above and beyond anything that most women do. And already most women do a lot. So if you had to go above and beyond what most women did, it had to be extraordinary contributions. And even those cases, they did not get necessarily huge amounts. But in view of the evolution of society, people having a sense of what is right and wrong and maybe an unjust situation for certain people who've been in the very long term de facto relationships, had children, committed themselves either to working in the person's business without pay or very little pay, or taking care of the children, could be only two children now, (laughs) and while the the other person is basically developing a career or business, getting rich, and the other person either stop working altogether or or, or work part-time only, or refuse advancements in career to be able to be more available for the children and take care of this family. Now there is a clear opening of the Court of Appeal to basically provide those spouses a compensation 
for the years that they passed, that they spent taking care of the children, taking care of their house. And the amount that we see often coming very recently in the jurisprudence is 20%. 20% of what? Of the assets accumulated by the other spouse during the marriage. So right now in Quebec, for couples that are not married, that we said earlier that they don't have any rights in case of separation to claim some of the assets that were built during the relationship. Right now, there's an opening where unmarried couple can have approximately 20% if they can prove that unjust uh, enrichment. Unjust enrichment. Thank you, yes. thank you. So they, they have some rights to get some of the assets. Is that what we are saying? There is a possibility. Like Again, what I said is that the Quebec Civil Code does not provide for right of partition of asset. They don't say like you're entitled to half of this, not even 20% of that. The Quebec Civil Code does not oh, it's, provide It's not law, rights. it's just a jurisprudence. Exactly. It's not I written see. law, it's jurisprudence that's provided us with this opening. And this 20% is not a set number. Some judges say it could go up to 30, 35%, but we see a bit this 20% coming out of the jurisprudence, but it's not a given. You know, the other spouse can say, look, no, 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 you, even if I worked maybe longer hours, I still worked as much as you regarding the children, none of what I accomplished is thanks to you, or I was already accomplished, or I already had my business when we met. So it's not automatic. It's not because necessarily you're a stay-at-home mom, that you will be automatically entitled to 20%, but there is an opening to permit such requests in terms of an unjust enrichment, but you still have to be able to show that... To support it. Yes, to support your claim. So it's a case by case. Absolutely. So what you are mentioning is getting a percentage of the assets, but is there anything, any evolution on the support payment for unmarried couple as well, or this one is still the way it is as per the law? There is no, not that much... There is no rights to spousal support for de facto spouses. So for example, if you had a situation where there were not a lot of assets, but there was a nice income coming in year after year, and the other spouse could continue having a great income for many years after the separation, there is no rights to any spousal support for de facto spouse, only child support if the couple has children. So there's still a lot of reflection, a reflection to be had. There's still a lot of progress. And also the Quebec legislator has been promising to address this issue for many years. And I think it's a tricky situation, but I think it's important that clarity be given because like you said, it's for now, then just enrichment is a case by case. There can be many uh, defense brought up against that procedure for unjust enrichment. And you don't want people to be stuck in front of judges for years to try to get something that is as simple as, let's say, saying 20% for all de facto spouses or whatnot, or another type of calculation or the right to spousal support that could bring clarity to de facto spouse and make sure that, that they are protected, regardless of the fact that they're not married. And also, importantly, to not necessarily have to go to court to obtain what is considered fair in terms of compensation for years spent taking care of children and or household. Yeah, definitely. Being in the financial advisory world, what we see sometimes is that when members of a 
unmarried relationship have pension plan from their employer or from, you know, when you think about the QPP, the Régie des Rangs du Québec, it seems that pension plan, I'm not talking about RSPs, I'm talking about actual pension plan, sometimes they fall under different legislation where de facto spouse might have a claim. Is that right? Yes. Let's say you have a pension fund with your employer and you are deceased. Your surviving spouse, even if it's a de facto spouse and not a married spouse, will be entitled to half of your pension plan. However, if it's a separation, that other spouse is not entitled to half of your pension plan. Ah, okay. Yes, it's a death that there is some rights, if we can say, even if you're not married. Exactly. And also, it's clear that de facto spouses have the right to prepare a contract. They can have a domestic contract drafted. Oh, okay. Which What is that? A domestic contract is basically a contract that de facto spouses sign together. And they can say, like, we're not married couples, but we want to provide for one another or for one of the spouses certain rights. We might want to be able to partition certain assets if we get separated. We might want to be able to provide for spousal support for the other de facto spouse if we're separate. So clearly, there is another option. Let's say that you absolutely don't want to get married because you don't believe in the institution or whatnot, or you rather have you know, a very clear set of rules that would apply in terms of separation, then the right course of action is to sign a domestic contract that can basically you can have create your own law, the law that will apply to your own separation. And you can decide what assets will be partitioned, what will not be partitioned, if there are going to be spousal support rights or not. So that's something that we encourage in a, until we have more clarity in terms of the law. But again, you know, if you're the most disadvantaged spouse, it's very difficult to to encourage negotiate. or negotiate or force the other person to the negotiating table. So it's not all it's not necessarily a realistic solution for the whole province, but it can be a good solution for individual cases. In some cases, that can be better than nothing. And it's a protection that is available. And I'm assuming this will be done in front of a lawyer and or notary so that you have to respect that contract when it's signed if there's a separation. I'm, I'm assuming, is that well, right? Well, legally, contrary to the marriage contract, which has to be signed in front of a notary, a domestic contract doesn't need to be signed in front of a notary. It's better, you know, to have either a notary or a lawyer help to draft it to make sure that the language is clear, that the intention is clear. But at the end of the day, it's just a contract between two adults. So people could draft it and sign it, but we definitely never recommend people to draft such an important contract without getting at least some legal advice. Yeah, very good point. Wow, thanks a lot, Patricia, for all this amazing knowledge and for all your expertise. As a recap, we have learned, myself and the listeners, the different rules for married couples, what falls under the family patrimony, which we cannot get out of, and what fall under the different regime, which in some cases we can have a marriage contract to decide what can be divided or not. And very important as well, what are the rules for couples that are not married? So I think it's all very, very current, relevant information. Thanks for sharing that with us. So is there any 
last key takeaways or anything you want to share, Patricia, before we, we leave the podcast? Well, if there's one takeaway, I think, from all this podcast is knowledge is key. Knowledge of yourself, knowledge of your own assets, of your spouse's assets, of your values of the law is very important because once you know what the law is, when you know what your rights are, you can make informed decisions. So you're not blindsided. Very good point. Everyone can be guided by professionals and people should not hesitate to contact next expert professionals. So this was the episode of the Empowered Investor on Family Law. I hope you guys enjoy it and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye, Patricia. Bye, everyone. Hi, Ruben. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Empowered Investor podcast hosted by Keith Matthews. Please visit tma-invest.com to subscribe to this podcast, learn more about how his firm helps Canadian investors, or to request a complimentary copy of The Empowered Investor. Investments and investing strategies should be evaluated based on your own objectives. Listeners of this podcast should use their best judgment and consult a financial expert prior to making any investment decisions based on the information found in this podcast.